couldn't tell at all. Now, you may be able to tell, tell now that it's my third or fourth time to do this. Um, I was telling some of our guests this morning, I, most of you know me, um, I am not a preacher. I am preaching this morning. I'm a principal, so keep that in mind. Um, the last few times I've done, done this and filled in for Ben, I, I just did my own sermons and kind of won out sermons. Well, um, Ben asked me to try something different this week. Um, here at our church, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So we're in Genesis, and he has preached from Genesis 1 through Genesis 36, and he wanted me to continue. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So today we're continuing with Genesis 37 and verses 12 through 36. Um, but before we begin, I want to pray. Dear Lord, we just, we just thank you. Thank you for, for letting us be here this morning. Thank you for beautiful sounds that were coming from our voices this morning. And we know that's not us, that's you. Um, just thank you for the worship. Thank you for Kendra and Pat for, for leading us. Um, thank you for those that are here this morning. Um, thank you for, for the guests. I just ask that you be with us this morning. Just have your words speak through me um, and have what needs to be said said. Just open our hearts and our minds to your word. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, like I said, we've been through 36 chapters of Genesis. And uh, Ben does every, every Sunday does a great job of reviewing those chapters. Um, I'm just going to review a little bit. Um, we're going to review what we talked about last week in the beginning of Genesis 37. Um, we learned about Joseph and his dreams. And remember, these dreams that Joseph was having were dreams from God. And his brothers, when they heard about these dreams, were not real happy. Um, they felt like Joseph wanted to rule over them. And this, this caused a lot of hate in between Joseph and and his brothers. Of course, they didn't understand that these dreams were uh, a prelude to what was going to happen down the road. And they didn't understand that their dreams were from Joseph. Um, but what they did cause was lots of jealousy and strife with, with he and his brothers, um, especially on the brother's side of it. So now we're at the point where we've had these dreams, Joseph told the dreams. And the brothers are, are really upset. They don't, you know, they, they truly hate Joseph. Um, they think that he thinks he's better than them. Um, we've got a lot of verses today to cover this whole story, but we're, so we're going to chunk it. We're going to go in little chunks, and we're going to start with um, Genesis 37, verses 12 through 17. Verse 12 says, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. 
So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So let's take a look at these verses. First of all, remembering Israel is Jacob. Jacob is Joseph's father. And um, those names I'll kind of use interchangeably today, Israel and and, and Jacob. Um, Joseph is talking to his father. And uh, verse 14 indicates that the family's home base was in the Valley of Hebron which was about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. The brothers are off taking care of the sheep. Now, remember back in this time, there weren't barbed wire fences. It's just open pasture. So the way you took care of sheep was you let them eat here for a little bit. Then you moved them. They eat there. So they're moving around a little bit. This is important because of the distance um, in this story. Uh, Shechem was about 50 miles away from the father's home place. So it would take about four or five days to get there. So here we have Joseph and, and, and Israel, or Jacob, at home, and the brothers four or five days away. So the reason that's important is because they feel a little bit of freedom. You know, dad's not watching right over us. You know, we, we can think about things on our own a little bit. So Israel says, hey, Joseph, you know, go make sure that everything's good with your brothers. So what I find interesting about this is that these brothers are, are hating Joseph. But Israel is saying, Joseph, go, take, go find out. So does Israel really understand how that hatred Does he understand the full situation? And Joseph as well. Does Joseph know that his brothers are at that point that, I mean, in a little bit we're going to see they're ready to kill him. So that animosity probably was not seen as much by Jacob and and Joseph. So they're saying, okay, because what we see Joseph say here is, you know, Okay, I'll go, you know, like, no problem. I'll go find out what's going on. So Joseph is walking into a situation where he thinks everything's okay. So he makes his way to Shechem. But when he gets there, he doesn't find his brothers. Instead, he finds a stranger and learns that the brothers have moved on to Dothan. Well, Dothan was another 15 miles. So here we get more distance. And he continues to find his brothers to make sure everything was good. All right, so moving on to verses 18 and 20, we continue our story. He saw him in the distance. He them. They plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So here's where that distance plays a part in it. Dad's not watching over us. Our true feelings are coming out. And it's true hatred. You know, they want to, they're plotting. This is not something that just comes up. They see him in a distance and they say, this is what we're going to do. You know, sometimes we can be guilty of that. We let that anger, that jealousy build up against someone And we start to plot our plan against them. You know, what can I do to them? Whatever they did to me, let me do something worse. 
And it gets worse when, when we're with a group of people. And here they are. These brothers are all together. It wasn't just one. It's all of them. And they're plotting. And, and you know how it goes. You know, yeah, we'll do this. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, and, and unfortunately, I think that's how we are. When we're around the wrong people, we can allow ourselves to be influenced by those opinions and those other people that are around us. So here we are. The brothers don't talk just a little bit about revenge. They're talking murder. They plan on killing Joseph. You know, they call him the dreamer. You know, sometimes we think of the dreamer as being a good compliment. Not in this case. The dreamer. They're telling him, you know, this is an insult. We're mocking you. You know, this is not a good thing. So what do they plan on doing? They plan on throwing him in a pit. And during that time, pits were really common. Pits could be used for several different things. Um, they used them to store grain. In this case, the cistern they, they used to store water. But they are also big enough that they could hold prisoners. And sometimes they were up to 10 feet um, deep. I'm sorry, 10 feet wide, 15 feet deep. So these are big holes in the, in the ground. And that was their plan. You know, we're going to throw him in there and, and get him killed. So let's see what happens next. In verse 21 and 22, it says, When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him, rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So here's Reuben. Reuben is actually the oldest brother. And um, if you go back to that time, the oldest brother is, has a responsibility to take care of his family. And Reuben isn't saying, hey, let's not do any of this. Let's just not us kill him. Let's throw him in there. And his plan was, because the Bible tells us Reuben's plan was to go back and rescue him later. So does that make Reuben right? Well, what was his motive? More than likely, his motive was to get on his dad's good side. You know, if I come back and rescue him, I can take him back to dad, and Jacob will find favor in Reuben. So that's Reuben's plan. On to verses 23 through 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So that when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So here we have an, another brother coming into play, Judah. 
And Judah um, says was the the fourth son of of Jacob. But here at the beginning it says it talks about his ornate robe. Well, we know the story of Joseph and his robe, and we understand that that was a huge symbol and very important to Joseph. But what is their plan? Their plan is okay. Hey, let's throw him in the pit. Let's take his robe, tear the robe up, put blood on it, and take it back to dad so that it will be demoralized. Dad will believe that he's dead. And so that's what they do. They, they, um, they follow Reuben's orders. Because um, Reuben says, hey, you know, let's, let's not, he was the one that said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the, in the cistern. And it was important to know that there was not, it was not, he's not going to drown. This cistern's empty. He, he, so they're going to, they're going to do this. So that's what they do. They throw him in there. And verse 25, I think this is, this is about right for us sometimes. As they sat, they throw him in the water and what did they do? They sat down to eat. Okay. Hey, let's murder our brother. Let's eat. You know, no big deal. These men had just thrown their brother into a pit to be devoured by animals. No biggie. Let's just eat. It's supper time. You know, I think that's how we approach sin sometimes. Unfortunately, sin becomes common in our lives, and we know that we've sinned against God, and we just, oh, no big deal. You know, let's just go on with our, our lives. Sin is a big deal, no matter how small it is, how small we feel it is. Sin is a big deal, and we can't let it become common in our lives. I'm not suggesting any of us in here are plotting to kill our, our brothers or throw them in a, in a cistern, but, but it doesn't matter what type of sin we have. It can't become a normal part of our life, and we can't not take it serious. So as they're eating, they look up and they see, see people coming their way, this, this caravan. And these, these people are loaded down with goods. And so Judah, and says he was the fourth son of Jacob by, by Leah, says, you know, let's, let's do something different. Let's just sell him to these people. That way we haven't laid our hands on him. Do what? You've already thrown him in the pit. You've already laid your hands on him. You know, you've already done that part of it. So, but this is just a justification. You know, if we sell him into slavery, then we can justify our, what we've already done. Because we didn't kill him. You know, what was Judah's motivation here? Some say it might have been monetary, but it says they gave 20 um, shekels of silver. And from what I've read, 20 shekels of silver was about two years' wages for a shepherd, which if I were keeping that for myself, that might be a motivation. But he was going to have to share that with all his brothers. So that's not really a huge motivation more than likely his motivation was just that justification. And isn't that what we do a lot of times too? Is justify what we've done? You know, a sin that we've committed, we try to justify it by doing something else. You know, we talked this morning in, in Sunday school, 
You know, no, no, no amount of good works is going to save us. You know, in in his mind, is this a good work because we're not going to kill him? We're just going to sell him? I don't know. Verse twenty-eight, it says, um, "You know, the Mennonites take him; they bought him." So, what does that let us know? That lets us know that hey, Joseph is still alive. Now let's read the rest of the verses, 29 through um, 36. It says, When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. So during this time, Reuben must have been off taking care of the sheep. It doesn't tell us where he was, but he wasn't there for the part about selling into slavery. Um, But he comes back and he tore his clothes, and we'll get to all that in a minute. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Mennonites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So let's jump back up there to verse 29. Again, Reuben didn't have anything to do with selling his brothers to slavery. So when he returns, he sees this empty, this empty cistern. His belief is that Joseph is dead. And it says he tore his clothes. Well, the tearing of clothes during that time was a sign of grief, of extreme grief. So when he tore his clothes, he was truly sorry and truly grieving the fact that his, his brother was dead. Um, but Joseph's not dead, and we know that. Uh, verse 30, he goes back to his brothers, and there are a couple of important pr- phrases here. He says, the boy is not. This could be a reference to the belief that not only is Joseph not in the pit, perhaps he's not alive. So again, Reuben believes that, that Joseph's not alive. And remember that Reuben, as the oldest brother, still has that responsibility. So now comes reality. They've actually killed the brother in his mind. So now I feel that regret. A little late to feel that regret. And the, um, the phrase, and I, you know, in, in that statement he says... Um, The boy isn't here, and it's where can I turn? Now it's back on me. It's not about his brother, it's about me. What about me? What's going to happen to me? Another question that we ask ourselves sometimes, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? It should be about God. In verses 31 through 36, something changes here. The way the verses are written start, start, stops being very specific 
And we heard Reuben, we had heard Judah, we had th- this brother. And they start using the pronoun they. So now it's like, okay, no one wants to take credit for anything. Now it's, we're doing this as a group. If we're going to get in trouble, we're all going to get in trouble. It's a they thing. Um, we're not told who comes up with the plan to cover up what they had done. So they're going to take this coat, and they've smeared it in blood, ripped it up, and they are going to take it to, um, to the Father. Now, all of them, including um, Reuben, know about this plan. So this has become one big scam, one big hoax. They, um, they know exactly what happened to the coat. They know whose coat it was. But what, we're, what are we going to do? We're going to go back to Dad and say, hey, we found this out there. Do you know who it belongs to? Well, of course he knew who it belonged to. They knew who it belonged to. And Jacob, or Israel, um, of course recognized it. And what does he do? In verse 34, he recognizes the coat. He knows that it's his son's, so he tears his clothing. It says, um, and, and then he puts on sackcloth. Well, sackcloth was actually goat's hair. And um, the wearing of goat's hair at that time, because it's very, very uncomfortable, um, was done as a sign of suffering so that they could feel that suffering. And, and so that's what Jacob does here. He, he tears his clothes in grief, and, and then he puts on this sackcloth. And he says he's going to mourn. And verse 35 lets us know that his sons and daughters came to comfort him. So now, all these sons who have not only planned it, but carried out the plan and ended up selling um, their, son, their brother into slavery are trying to comfort him. It's just more of that scam. You know, they knew the truth. They knew that Joseph had not been killed. Yet they continued to allow Jacob to believe that Joseph was dead. They chose to allow Jacob to suffer in grief, even if this grief would last a lifetime. So let's look at the story overall. And one of the interesting things about this story is, is that the name of God is never used in the story. But the story proves to us his sovereignty and that's what we need to remember today that God is sovereign none of these things happen by incident none of them are coincidences none of them were an accident it wasn't an accident that the brothers were far away from dad it wasn't an accident it wasn't a coincidence that um, Jacob sent Joseph to go see him it wasn't an accident that the cistern just happened to be there and was empty. It wasn't an accident that the merchants happened to come by. It was no accident. There were no, were no coincidences. All of this is part of God's plan. And we know from what happens later that all of this is leading up to Joseph becoming who he is and becoming the ruler who he is 
in leading up to, to Jesus. And that's what we need to remember today is that there are no coincidences in our life. God sets his plan in motion. He knows what's going to happen. He knows, we know that God is behind the picture. He's the one pulling the strings. He is working all things out for the good of his people. And we need to remember that. God is there for us. And his sovereignty is real. And and although God is not mentioned in this chapter, his providence is, is the central theme. So that's what I want us to remember today is that as we go through our life, we, we don't see the whole picture. We're not meant to see the whole picture. We're not smart enough to see the whole picture. He is. But at each point, it's our job to make those decisions that are right for God. Not that we think that are right for us, that are right for God. And we may not see those at each step, but he does. So that, that's what I hope we get from this story, is that, that God is sovereign. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we, just, we come to you this morning, and we, just, we thank you. Your wisdom is beyond any of ours, any of our combined wisdom. You know, Lord, we do not know what today holds. You do. You know what's best for us, even though we sometimes fight that. I just ask that as individuals that we, at every step of our lives, that we look to see what is your plan, not what is our plan. We thank you for for everything that you do for us. This is Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.